All right, thank you, Pastor Mike, for reading that. Um, just a bit of news to pass along before we start our sermon. I know an email went out this last week, but uh, one of our brothers, one of our friends here, um, Ron Farnquist, passed away this last week. It was a um, pretty quick process that he went through, and I believe it was Tuesday morning, if I have my dates correct. Some have asked, is there going to be a funeral or service? And um, the family, along with Ron himself, had requested that there not be one. And so um, I just want you to know that and pass that along to all of you. So he used to sit right back there on that back row. Him and Denny Scott would hang out together. And so he's going to be a guy I miss. Let's once again pray, and then uh, we'll study this passage again this week. Lord, we give you thanks for our time to be able to be together. You have commanded us to come together. It's described in Scripture as they met on the first day of the week. We're to encourage one another. The word is to be preached. Songs are to be sung. And so, Lord, we gather here out of obedience to you, trusting that your word is wisdom for us and is right for us. And so we ask now that you would open up the eyes of our heart, the ears of our hearts, help us to see and listen as you would have us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the purpose of the sermon is to study chapter 9, verse 7. Last week, we covered the events of the transfiguration of Jesus. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, and his face shone brightly. Two figures from the Old Testament appeared. Moses, who represents the law. Elijah, who represents the prophets. They appeared on the mountaintop. And here is Jesus, even with those important figures from history, being elevated above them, as though to say he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. He is surpassing them in his greatness. While he's on the mountain, a cloud more than likely the same cloud that descended on Mount Sinai and on the tabernacle, what's often referred to as the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, out of that cloud comes a voice. And the voice from that cloud spoke and said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. So we took our sermon last week and went from verses 1 to 13, and this week, we just want to focus in on that phrase, this is my beloved son, listen to him. In that statement, there are two components. There's the identity component. This is my beloved son. He's being identified. And this has been Mark's argument throughout his book, going all the way back to chapter 1, verse 1, where the book opens with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And here's this voice saying and affirming, this is my beloved son. Out of that identity comes a command. And the command is, listen to him, the son. And when you think about that phrase, it means that words are going to be coming forth from the son that must be listened to and adhered to as followers of him. Now, when you think about the words of the Son, we have seen the power of Jesus' words going all the way back to chapter 1. 
If you're questioning what's one reason why I should listen to the words of the Son, let's just do a quick overview of what we've seen with the words of the Son. Going all the way back to chapter 1, Jesus is in the synagogue teaching and the people are stunned. They're astonished because his words, as he taught, he taught with those words as one who had authority. His words have authority. His words, just the spoken words that come out of Jesus' mouth, command and rule over the demons. So a man is in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. He rises up and Jesus rebukes the demons with just words, be silent and come out of him. And the demons hearken to the powerful words of Jesus and come out of him. In chapter 2, a paralyzed man was brought to Jesus for healing. And Jesus says to the paralyzed man who's crippled there on a mat whom his friends have brought, he says something that we don't expect. He says with words, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders who are standing there say, you can't forgive sins, only God can forgive sins. Well, if those words are powerful, number one, his sins are indeed forgiven. But Jesus pushes it just a little bit further because you know that you can't see the forgiveness in somebody's heart. So he says, just so that you know I have power to do this, I'm going to say something that you can see with my words. And so he says to the paralytic man with man words, man, rise, stand up, and walk. And with words, the guy just stands up, takes his mat, and walks away. More about Jesus' words. Chapter 4. He's out on the sea, a storm rises up, and he talks to creation with three words, peace, be still. The power of Jesus' words, creation listens. More demons are listening to him. He's casting them out of people. Diseases are submitting to the words of Jesus as a woman is healed after years of suffering. And then the ultimate opponent that we all face, death. Death retreats at the powerful words of Jesus. Jesus comes to a house where a little girl is inside the house and, and she's dead. And just with words, he tells the girl, now arise and death retreats and backs away from that girl. He conquers death with his words. So when we're talking about listening to Jesus, we're talking more than just ideas or concepts or information. We're talking about words that Jesus speaks we're commanded to listen to, and they change our lives. The words of Jesus change our lives. So we want to see more of this this morning. And the big idea for the sermon is two sentences, very simple. Jesus is the beloved son. I must listen to him. Jesus is the beloved son. I must listen to him. And we're going to take that big idea and just break it down to the two points of the sermon. So the first point of the sermon is simply this. Jesus is the beloved son. Jesus is the beloved son. Now the father speaking in this Shekinah cloud to the disciples could have said a number of things up on the mountain. 
but he just says these words, he is the beloved son. What is the significance of this statement that Jesus, the one whom we follow, the one whom we trust, what is the significance of it that Jesus is the beloved son? It means this, that Jesus is God. Because the language of son needs to be understood in terms of essence. By that I mean, a son has the same essence, the same DNA, the same likeness as his father. A son has his father's natures. So when the voice from the cloud, which is God's voice, says, this, I want you to know, disciples, this is my beloved son. God is saying, this man has the same essence as me. He's God in the flesh. And again, this is the point that Mark has been making since chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus is the Christ, comma, the what? The Son of God, the essence of God. And why is this important, especially for the Jews? It's important because for centuries, going all the way back to Abraham, the Jews had believed in God and had reverence for him. But they did not think of him in terms of a triune God. It might be safe to say that they thought of God in terms of one person with a divine nature, rather than three persons with the same divine nature. They were waiting for God the Father to do something in order to bring about his promises. But the Father is plainly revealing himself He's revealing that God is among them. He's revealing that God is among them in the person of God the Son who has the same essence as God the Father. God had come to his people. And so the Jews are understanding this. We live, we live in our day where the canon, the scripture has been completed and so we can study the scripture and we can see the doctrine of the Trinity. We can see the doctrine of the Son, but God is continuing his revelation to them right now and unpacking more and more of who he is so that the doctrine of the Trinity of who Jesus is, the Spirit is, is becoming more and more clear to them. That's why John opens up his gospel with a very strong defense of Jesus being God. You remember John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then he skips down to verse 14 and says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What John is doing is he's saying, I'm introducing you to Jesus, the son who is the word, the expression, the communication of the father. He is God. So here's the father on the mountain saying, here's my beloved son. Here's God the son in front of you. But there's another question that needs to be answered about this. What is the role of this beloved son? The role of the son is to carry out the will of the father. So John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Okay, so what's Jesus saying? Again, for the Jewish mind, this is probably a little more understandable at first glance. Simply think of it in Jewish terms. If a dad was a farmer, the son was going to be a farmer. 
and he listened to what his farmer dad would say. If farmer dad says, this is how we plant the crops, farmer son would say, okay, you've revealed it to me, and I carry out the will of dad. If dad was a businessman, the son would be a businessman. And dad businessman would say, this is how we do business. He would reveal it to the son, and the son would say, okay, we carry out the business this way. So when Jesus is saying that he's the son, he's saying also that in my role as the son, I am not branching out on my own accord, just being some sort of maverick on my own. I'm doing what the father does. I'm carrying out the plan of the Father. So Jesus is doing exactly what the Father desires him to do when he comes to earth and reveals the Father. He's doing exactly what the Father desires him to do when he goes to the cross and surrenders himself for salvation. But what you see in the Son is a willing submission to the Father. That's his role. Another question. How does the Father then relate to the Son. If the Son relates to the Father in terms of submission, how does the Father relate to the Son? Well, we see a little bit in this phrase here where he calls his Son the beloved Son. God the Father loves his Son. So in John chapter 5, verse 20, following what Jesus just said in verse 19, he says, for the Father loves the Son and how is it that the Father shows his love for the Son? He shows love for the Son by showing him all that he himself is doing. By revealing or displaying everything. And now, hang on for a second, because some of you just went into almost debate mode. Because you're thinking, wait a second, you just argued that Jesus is God. And what is one of the characteristics of God? He is omniscient. So if the Father is revealing to the Son, how is it that the Son had this limited knowledge and didn't know, so therefore he had to have these things revealed? I don't think that's Jesus' point. That's my way of answering your debate question, okay? The point that Jesus is making here is how the Father loves and it's the idea that the Father loves with full disclosure, with full openness. There is nothing that is hidden from the, by the Father from the Son. Now, let me give you a very corny illustration. Sometimes you don't want other people to know what you are doing. And I remember very specifically a time when I didn't want somebody to know what I was doing. I was a teenager, and I wanted to learn how to dance hip-hop style. <laughs> it was so cool to see these guys do one-hand handstands and kick their feet up in the air, or twirl around on their hips and have their little feet kicking and, you know, just be the center of attention. And I wanted to learn how to do that. So I went downstairs closed the bedroom door, probably locked it, turned on some music, which I doubt was anything worth listening to, and I want to make this very clear. I tried to learn how to dance. It didn't happen. All right, but why did I close the door? 
I closed the door because I didn't want anyone to see what I was doing. I didn't trust somebody to walk into the door, through the door, see what I was doing, and accept me as I was. Embarrassment. I thought what I was doing would diminish their perspective of me. That's how it goes. There are times in life when you are doing something and you don't want anyone to know because you don't trust the way they will think of you, the way that they will love you. There's not that security. All right, let's bring all this back. The father is fully disclosing everything to the son. Jesus is making this point in John 5 that the relationship between the father and the son has always been characterized by complete, by whole trust, by complete, by whole security, by complete and whole openness. It's the kind of relationship that when you think about it, we all long for. A very trusting, secure relationship that is the expression of a love, a secure love, where there's the absence of pride, where there's the absence of selfishness, the absence of sin. We all long for that where it can all be in the open and be fully known. There's no conditions to this kind of relationship. Now, if you just think about that from experience and your own inhibitions, and you think there is a relationship that supersedes all of that, that is characterized by full disclosure, by full trust. This is what the Father and the Son have. And you can imagine the intricate tightness that the two have with one another. Where God deeply loves his Son with a love that is pure, a love that is trusting, a love that is characterized by full disclosure. So Jesus is not merely a messenger sent from God. He is a special messenger from the Father. He is God the Son who is on the mountain there. God the Son whom the Father loves with a deep, deep love. And out of his love for his Son now, he commands those who are around him saying, I love him, I love him, I have a deep love for him. Now the best thing that you can do is listen to him. Listen to him. He's the word from heaven. He's the expression from the Father. He is the glory of the Father. And if we want to understand what God desires for us, we must listen to him. Which leads us to point number two. I must listen to him. This is how God would have us respond. We must be listening to Jesus. Now let me just ask you, I spent a little bit of time last week asking this question. To whom are you listening? Or to what are you listening? Who has your ear or what has your ear? And another way of answering that is by asking yourself this question, what has my emotions and my affections? What has my commitments? What has my energies? What is the one thing that I can look on and say, I'm committed to that. I give my heart over to it. it. It gets me sort of excited about things. What are you as an individual listening to? The Father says, listen, give ear, give attention, pay attention, obey the Son. So what does it mean for us to listen to Jesus? 
Well, we have seen the theology of the Trinity that the Son is disclosing the Father. He's revealing the Father. So to listen to Jesus means to listen to the Father. John chapter 12, verses 49 and 50. Jesus said this, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What's the command? What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment, summarized this, is eternal life. So what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So here are the disciples on the mountain, and if they're in, in kind of in doubts or even question as to who Jesus is, Jesus is unpacking this theology for us in his life where he says, to listen to me is to listen to God the Father in heaven. I am revealing the will of the Father to you. And sometimes we have our, our theology maybe, maybe uh, just not complete yet. And, and we say, okay, I want to listen to the Father. Well, here is, here's listening to the Father by being fully surrendered to Jesus the Son because the Son is only going to communicate what the Father desires for us to hear. The Father says, listen to him. I'm speaking to you through him. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by the Son. So to listen to the Son is to listen to the Father. Okay, but what about us? We're not in the same situation that Peter, James, and John were. Peter, James, and John could say, yes, we have listened to Jesus. In fact, we heard his actual voice. He told us, come on, take a hike. We're going up to this mountain. We heard him say that, and we ascended the mountain with him. He told us, get in the boat. We got in the boat. We sat there right underneath him as he taught the sermons. But we don't have him speaking to us in the same sense as a kind of individual presence with us right now. He's ascended. He's at the right hand of the Father. How do we listen to the Son who speaks on behalf of the Father? Now, Peter, who is on the mountain with Jesus, it's as though he's anticipated this question for the church, the church whom he was writing to in First and Second Peter. So Second Peter answers this question, to listen to the Father and to listen to the Son is to listen to the Word of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. For when he, that is Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, so we're talking about the mount here. When he received glory from God the Father, Peter was there, and the voice was borne to him by that majestic glory, the cloud, the Shekinah glory, the voice that said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Now down in verse 20, it says that this word was, this prophetic word that Peter's talking about is the word that the prophets have spoken, the word that was prophesying about the coming son and here's the father saying on the mountain the son has come and so Peter is saying yes the words of the prophets were confirmed by the father speaking here but then Peter Peter points us where he's pointing us back to 
the word of God. And he says, we have the prophetic word. And notice how he says it next. The word to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Peter's point is this. To listen to Jesus is to listen to the Father. To listen to the word of God is to listen to the Father. They are both one of the same. That's why Paul can say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's the Bible, it's God's word that we are to have ears for because through the Bible, the Father, the Son, is speaking to us. And Peter says, you do well to pay attention to the word as to a lamp shining in a dark place. So our family has grown to enjoy camping, and I say grown because it always hasn't been that way, but over the years, we've taken a liking to it. If you've been camping, you know that evenings in the campgrounds can be difficult to navigate because if you're truly camping, and I'm not talking glamping or RVing, I'm talking camping where you don't have lights, And if you walk outside your tent, you need a light. And when you're in this place that's unfamiliar, you're shining that light out in front of you, and that light is constantly leading the way. And so you pay attention to where the light is dispelling or pushing back the darkness. And you follow that light along the path, or you follow that light into the woods as you're looking at things. When we listen to Jesus, when we listen to the Father who is now speaking to us through the Word of God, the idea is that his words have to be out in front of you, to which you do well to pay attention to. Pay attention to the light. Don't walk away from the light into darkness. There's destruction there. There's there's hurt there. So we pay attention to the light of God's Word as it leads us through dark times, dark times of life. Dark times in our world. Dark times wondering how are we supposed to think about crucial issues that seem to just be coming over and over again. We pay attention to the light. What does the word of God have to say about this? Because to listen to the word of God is to have ears for what Jesus would say if he was here in the person with us right now. We listen to the word of God. We listen to the son who is speaking to us. And then we ask the question, what am I, however, in my fallen condition, tainted with sin, what am I tempted to listen to? What am I tempted to have out in front of me sort of leading my affections, leading my emotions, leading my conclusions? What are we tempted with? Let me just run down a few thoughts here. You think about biblical examples, you can think about Adam and Eve. God had spoken, they know what he said, but here were the delights of the eyes for Adam and Eve that were leading the way that they thought and made decisions. There's also the fear of man that can lead us along. You think about Abraham, who with his wife not once but twice was concerned about a a king here and a king there who saw his wife as beautiful, and if it was his wife, then I'd have to kill the husband. So he just said, "Let's, let's call her my brother or my sister. 
And out of fear of man, he lied. You think about pain from the past that people are listening to over and over again. Things that happen, and because that happened in the past, this is who I am right now, or this is how I need to respond right now. And the example that comes up is Naomi, who could look at her past and There were hard, bitter times from the past, and this is who I am now. Think about the challenge in the present. Sometimes we listen to the challenge that's right here, right now, right right in front of us. It stings. It hurts. Think about Paul with his thorn in the flesh. He experienced a challenge right in the present. He had that moment where he's asking God, God, please take this challenge whatever it was, please take this challenge out of my life. But Paul went the right direction. So many times we look at the challenge and it's like the challenge just becomes all-consuming for us and that's all we can see and that's all we focus on instead of looking above the challenge and listening to the sun. You think about your feelings in general. Some of the prophets of the Old Testament who got discouraged and went through days, maybe longer than that, where they just said, I'm all alone. God kindly came alongside prophets like Elijah and Jeremiah and said, no, you're not alone. I'm with you. There's many more that we can mention, but I'm sure you get the picture. We are at a place where as individuals, we have to make a decision. What am I going to listen to? Who am I going to listen to? And listen, as pastors... We don't want to be going through the motions of shepherding a flock or our own hearts. Our goal at the end of the day for all of us should be that we are people who are surrendered no matter what is happening or no matter what may come. We're surrendered to God's word. What does God, what does God say to us through his word? That's where we need to be. So God says, Listen, pay attention, heed the Son, heed the Word. Okay, so here's how we're going to close the sermon. I thought of ten people from our church. Ten different people who will remain unnamed. I thought about ten different lives that are going on. And I think that those ten lives have overlap into your life as an individual. And so I thought, well, what's going on in these 10 different lives? And so down the list, and I just thought, okay, here's what's going on here, 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 here. How would Jesus, if he were here, how would he speak to them? That's our temptation to go there. But now we're saying, wait a second, he has spoken. We have what he said. So for these 10 different situations, I'm just going to go down through them individually and we're going to listen to the word that Jesus would speak to us. And so when you hear your situation, perhaps you could think of yourself as, okay, this is Jesus speaking to me. This is God speaking. It's not not just something that he's saying up there. We believe that God has spoken through his word and this is how he has spoken to us. Okay, so 10 situations, 
And my encouragement for you is not to like scribble down notes right now. My encouragement would be just to listen. All right, so number one, here's a situation with someone. I am not saved. And you'll want to talk to Jesus. You want to hear from him. Here's what Jesus would say. For all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But they are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? It says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So friend who is not saved, will you listen to God's word to you today and believe? Second, friend, you say, I do not have assurance of my salvation today. What would Jesus say to me? He would say this, I have come down from heaven. I have come not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So friend, if you believe that Jesus is your Savior, you need to know that Jesus is holding on to you and will raise you up on the last day. Friend, you say, I wrestle with depression. What would Jesus say to me? He would say these words, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Is that how you feel, friend? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Talk to God about your depression, friend, and trust in his steadfast love. You talk to Jesus and you say, My child is drifting from God. Help. He would say, Psalm 127, Behold, keep in mind, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. You're blessed because you have children. Now, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, even if they are drifting. But bring them up, continue to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
And also, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So friend, thank God for your child. Continue to speak truth into his or, life, his or her life and pray that God will open up the eyes of his or her heart. You say to Jesus this morning, I'm just flat discouraged. Psalm 121. Lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Friends, spend time looking to the Lord and recount his goodness that showers your life day and night. Friend says to Jesus, I am worn out. Mark 6 the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. They had done their work. And he said to them, come away by yourselves for, to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Psalm 46, when you get to that desolate place, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth he also makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. He's in control of all things. So then what should I do when I'm in this desolate place? Take time to be still and know that I am God. Someone comes to Jesus and says, someone deeply hurt me. Here's what Jesus would say. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But instead, go forward and love your enemies. And do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Someone comes to Jesus and says, I'm filled with anger. Jesus would say, Okay, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. A friend comes to Jesus and says, I know that I am dying. Jesus says, Psalm 23, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley 
of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're real, but they're not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Last, a friend says, I am afraid. Here's how Jesus would respond. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So, folks, Jesus does speak. The will of the Father has been revealed to us, and we hold it in our hands today. And we come back to where we started the sermon. To whom or what are you listening? And we conclude here by saying, listen to the beloved Son who speaks from the Father through the Word of God to you. Listen and surrender to him because of who he is, because he's good, because he loves you. Listen to him as he guides you in truth this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us what we need. You have certainly not abandoned us. You have given us your word. And as believers, you have indwelt us by your spirit to take that word and to apply it to our hearts, to apply it to our lives. And so, God, going into our week this week, would you please keep us from experience or wisdom being our ultimate guide? Would you please remind us by your Spirit to look to the Word, to come back to the Word, to trust the Word? You are speaking to us. Listen. Listen to him. And I pray that we would be followers of Jesus this week. He goes before us, and we follow him, and we listen to him. In the quietness of your heart, no doubt there have been challenges going on in your own life. Will you just take a moment and commit your way to the Lord this week? Commit to listening to God's word as he speaks to you this week. Just talk to God in the quietness of your heart, and I'll come back and pray. God, please work in each of our hearts individually. I pray that you would work in us corporately, that we would be brothers and sisters who speak from you, who speak the word to one another. I pray that we would be brothers and sisters who receive the word as it's spoken from one another. I pray that as we go out from here, we would be a people who are marked by that lamp that is going out in front of us and that we're doing well to pay attention to, that the word marks us. Our actions, our, 
are characterized by your word, by trusting in your word. So God, please help us this week. We want to be surrendered to you. Thank you for your gifts to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me as we close our service? Um, Just a couple of things to pass along to you. One is what Pastor Andy mentioned at the beginning of service. We have VBS going on this week. Um, Paul talks about prayers in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I believe it's verse 11 where he says that the prayers of many will help. And so we ask that you would pray for the workers this week. Please pray for the children as well. And just pray that the truth would settle on the hearts of young people this week. Next Sunday is a commissioning service. Luke and Karen are heading out to Utah. This is their last service here with us on Sunday. The Sunday service will look a little bit differently, um, but we will be commissioning them. And then afterwards, during the ABF hour, we're going to uh, allow, that might not be the right word, but have Luke and Karen in the gym and allow all of you to greet them, to give your hugs, Um, to say your kind of last words in person to them. And so that's going to be taking place during the ABF hour. Also, we encourage you, this is awkward for them while they're here, give a gift to them financially. This can be done through the offering plates that are in the back. I don't know, I'm not savvy about the online stuff. Maybe there's a category for it, but we want to give to them. And so next Sunday there will be an offering that is um, collected through those plates in the back. Um, Then Friday night, uh, bouncing back to VBS, there is a dinner here Friday night for the VBS family that's been a part of that. So all workers and all kids, just to get that on your calendar. Anything else that I'm missing, pastors? Okay, all right. We have our ABF hour. There's coffee out there for fellowship, the ABF. There's four classes that are scattered around the building here. We invite you to attend those. You are dismissed.